Well, thank you, John. Thank you for those uh, those very warm words of uh, of welcome. It's very nice to uh, to come along at this immaculately timed historical conference, which is not historical at all, is it? It's very contemporary. The issues which uh, Andrew's talked about are all being replayed in various ways before our eyes on a daily basis. I was just seeing this morning's news with Nigel Farage is already talking about another referendum if the result of this one is <laughs> narrowly in favour of Remain. Referendums, as we've seen in Scotland too, tend not to settle things. They tend to really inflame opinion, and that opinion doesn't die when the result is declared. One of the, um, the nice things I'm uh, taking some pleasure in at the moment, I'm not taking much pleasure in the referendum debate, but I'm taking pleasure in the fact that the trade union world is pretty united by any uh, standard that uh, you, can t you can take. Um, I think we're going to hear from RMT later. Uh, but RMT apart, uh, the rest including some you wouldn't necessarily have expected to uh, be on the Remain side, have come across late, most recently the Fire Brigade Union, uh, who've decided to uh, back the Remain side. So it's a, a very pleasant uh, uh, policy basis, which uh, the trade union world is in at the present time. And if you go back to when Andrew was talking about 1975, when the TUC, at least a majority of it, were against membership of the EU, against staying in the, uh, 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 the EU at that stage, the Common Market European Community, as it was then called. Um, it's quite a change. And many of you, looking around uh, some familiar faces, have been part of that uh, process of change and will know uh, the history of it uh, pretty well. I'm not going to spend much time on the history, but maybe just to pick out a few uh, relevant points which uh, inf inform where we are uh, very much today. Um, the, the fact is that once the decision was taken in 75, the TUC made the decision, uh, including those who had been against uh, uh, continuing in membership, to participate in the uh, structures of Brussels and the European uh, community, as it then was, and uh, to participate with other trade unions. The, form, the, the ETUC was uh, just getting formed. Uh, uh, Jack Jones had a major part in, uh, uh, in as chairman of the TUC International Committee and other jobs that he had uh, in getting that going. And he, it, the ETUC, in a sense, was a, a British creation. It wasn't linked limited just to members of the European community, but it extended more widely across Europe to the EFTA countries, the ones like Norway, uh, Iceland and so on, who hadn't joined uh, with Britain in 1973. And so the European TUC was a, a body that was then recognised by the European community uh, for the purposes of social dialogue and hopefully at one stage to social partnership, actually doing some deals at European level. That was the formation. And quite a few, one or two of you were involved in it at different industry sectors and so on. At meetings which started to be called. People began to go uh, and take part in those processes. And they began to find out that 
and I'm, I'm quoting from Paul Mason in today's Guardian, a classic statement of the uh, outer, uh, the people who want, uh, who want to leave, that this was a, a right-wing uh, organization dedicated uh, to helping international companies uh, uh, dodge taxes, have rentier uh, monopolies, uh, monetarist policies, and so on and so forth, they began to find a different reality. And I don't recognize Paul Mason's picture in the European Union. I recognize some features of it, which he then exaggerates, but that is not a fair picture of what the organization is. The organization, philosophically, is fused between uh, social democracy and Christian democracy. Uh, Christian democracy is sort of weakly sometimes represented in the Conservative Party. Some might say it was even represented by Tony Blair uh, in the Labour Party. But the, it was a, uh, it, it was a, a, a sort of Catholic uh, social teaching informed the main centre-right parties of most of the then European uh, uh, community Europe, to become the European Union later. And so the, uh, the idea that workers had dignity, that workers had rights, that workers should be protected was endemic in the organization. The Treaty of Rome itself in 1957 had included equal pay. It was the first sign that there was a social flame uh, that could be ignited in the European Union. And we began to uh, take part in these meetings and began to get different things. Mass dismissal protection was the first uh, consultation uh, in, uh, uh, over uh, redundancies in particular, which was another term really for mass dismissal. And uh, that was uh, incorporated into British law. And following on from that, CHUPI, uh, transfer of undertakings protection had its European uh, origin as well and uh, came into to British law. So there's a story in the 80s of people participating, getting used to it and uh, making uh, some progress, limited progress, don't want to overstate it, uh, but not seeing it as a threat and not seeing it as a vehicle for multinational companies to come in and reduce uh, worker living standards. Now all that picture became more and more attractive under the Thatcher government in the Thatcher era. Uh, and more and more it began to be seen as an alternative to uh, the Reaganism, the Thatcherism, which was so dominant in the uh, North Atlantic uh, world between ourselves and the United States. It became even more attractive when we had, those, many of you were in the middle of this, but different disputes in the 1980s, none of which, with the possible exception of the working time dispute in the engineering industry in uh, 1986, without that, without, with that exception, the rest, you've got to say, were lost, were not successful. Maybe some scope for discussion about that, but I don't think they were. And the government, whatever the cost, and shown most dramatically in the miners' strike, was going to out face down unions wherever they could and adjust the laws to help employers uh, face down unions wherever they could, and used by Rupert Murdoch and others, Eddie Shah, uh, over that period. So militancy 
didn't look quite so uh, normal and mainstream as it had perhaps done a decade earlier to many people in the trade union movement, people like John and me, who were uh, uh, sort of coming up in the trade union world. Uh, we didn't necessarily see the future in that way and were looking more at partnership agendas influenced by what was going on over in Brussels, but also coming out of the fact that we had to find ways of saving British companies which were going down like chocolate soldiers in a, in a heat wave um, and uh, try and prop them up and get them working more efficiently so that they could compete more successfully with the, uh, some very powerful competitors in the rest of the world. We'd lost, what was it, a third of manufacturing jobs in the early 80s. We didn't want to lose any more if we could possibly help it. And after 1987, with the defeat of uh, the Labour government, the political situation didn't look too rosy in Britain either. We'd got another five years of the Conservatives, and we thought another five years of Thatcherism, and where would we be uh, after that? And that led to this decision, which was to prove more historic than anybody thought, of inviting Jacques Delors uh, become president of the uh, European Commission in 1986, inviting him in 1988 to address the TUC Congress. Uh, and I can remember there was plenty of skepticism. Somebody said to me, will it be like an edition of Allo Allo? Uh, you know, a Frenchman struggling to speak, uh, speak English and everybody tittering uh, and so on. Um, and anyway, we persisted and he gave a speech which was, uh, uh, the, the repercussions of which are still uh, very much around in this debate because he, uh, he, the idea of the single market uh, was central to it, but a single market with social rules and environmental rules, rules that employers could not compete on. So health and safety was the one he picked first. Health and safety could not, uh, you could not compete in the single market on lower health and safety standards. And the irony of it is that the health and safety standards mostly which have subsequently been developed have been based on British law. That was the one area of the labour market where we've been the leaders, not the followers, uh, where we were in the Premier League and not uh, in some lower division. And it, so it was a very much um, uh, a, a vision that was attractive that he, uh, he laid out uh, before the Congress. And he um, instantly, uh, almost instantly anyway, a few weeks later, triggered this response from Mrs. Thatcher, uh, who gave a speech in uh, Bruges uh, to the Council of Europe, where she said, uh, I've rolled back the, uh, the state in the UK. She didn't say it, but she also meant she'd roll back union influence and power in the UK, and it was not going to be re-established by some Brussels superstate. Split the Conservative Party, a split that's resounding on the airwaves uh, still today, uh, and it led, uh, with other things, probably with the poll tax uh, debate, uh, to her oosting as the Conservative leader and Prime Minister uh, sometime later, a year or so later. So that was, uh, I'd say, one of the, 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 the best moment of the 80s, in a way, for, for the trade union world, uh, what happened there. And the TUC and then the Labour Party uh, shifted from hostility 
to uh, formal hostility to Europe, to a formal, uh, a favourable uh, approach. Um, and, and there was a period then of, of great creativity on the, the, which the law started. There'd been a social charter, a statement of principles. He began, in the context of a new treaty and the Maastricht Treaty, to convert it into a social action program. And uh, the uh, social, uh, 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 social policy John Major negotiated an opt-out from in the Maastricht Treaty. Britain didn't want any social policy, didn't want social rules in the European uh, single market. Uh, but nonetheless, the rest uh, did sign up to it, and it was very, uh, very productive phase because actually Britain was not able to block anything that was going on. Uh, and so, in that period alone, there was well over 50 directives which were implemented, uh, mostly in terms of numbers on, on health and safety. Um, the Working Time Directive, by the way, had, been, had not come out of the Social Action Programme, but had come out of the Single European Act, uh, been given priority by the law earlier than that. And the, Working time directive, but with its uh, limits on uh, working time, its need for rest breaks, and very importantly, a minimum four weeks paid holiday a year for a full-time worker, which I think is, you know, put, I put up in lights as perhaps the best thing in terms of meaning the most to the most uh, of uh, British workers, because that was not a, a standard which most manual workers had got in the UK at that stage. So the health and safety was the first area. Equality was the next area. Um, area the idea that if you were a part-time worker, a temporary worker, uh, an agency worker, you should get the same pro rata conditions. So you may only be working 10 hours a week, but you should get uh, the same uh, hourly rate and pro rata entitlements to holidays and, uh, and so on. Um, so equality and equality on equal uh, principles on equal pay on sex discrimination, and although we had some of this uh, in that area in British law, quite a lot of countries didn't do that. Particularly the ones where Catholic teaching was stronger and where notions of uh, equality between the sexes and genders was uh, uh, was not so well marked. So we were spreading certain things, uh, uh, certain values of ours were being spread, and Northern European values almost, were being spread uh, southwards at that stage. Um, we saw that the, um, uh, the, the, the uh, an interesting area began to develop on information and consultation. So I've got three areas. I've got health and safety, I've got equality, and I've got uh, information and consultation with the European Works Council Directive, which said that all firms with more than a 1,000 employees in two or more countries uh, needed to have a European Works Council if the workers sought it. And there's about 850 of those now around Europe. And from time to time, the TUC has a conference of, of the British uh, representatives. And the overwhelming impression that we get is how positive that experience is. Uh, and how useful that those are. And uh, later, when I was General Secretary, in a different climate, 
we did manage to negotiate a strengthening of that uh, to provide that workers have to be consult consulted in advance of decisions, not simply about the implementation of decisions, which has been a, quite an important change, more used in other countries than perhaps in the UK so far. So that was the, uh, uh, the social action program. The, fir the first half of the 90s was a very productive uh, uh, period at European level. The European Parliament was get, uh, had got new powers under Maastricht. People like Stephen Hughes, uh, Labour MEP from the North East, was very uh, uh, creative and very strong and sturdy in promoting these rights which didn't apply to Britain, not the ones from the uh, Social Action Programme, but if you're a Europe, take the European Works Council thing, you're not gonna do, if you're not going to have a European Works Council and leave the, Britons, the Brits out if you've got a significant presence here. So it was creeping in, uh, and, uh, and people were aware of other rights that other countries had got. The, funnily enough, the problem, uh, problem started to mount a bit, and John touched on it in his introduction of me, uh, when uh, Labour got in, in 97. In that, we found out that the Labour had a deal with the CBI that there wouldn't be any new measures allowed under the, uh, social, uh, what was the social chapter social action programme. Uh, because um, uh, the, in exchange for sort of CBI toleration of the commitment that, that Britain would end the opt-out uh, from, uh, fr fr from, from social Europe. So the deal was that they made was that so the CBI would go along quietly. Adair Turner negotiated this deal with, uh, I think, with the, Tony Blair as leader of the opposition at the time in '96 saying, um, uh, yeah, you've got, we're going to get rid of the opt-out, but any new stuff that comes down, we won't do it unless you, the CBI, approve it. That was a major uh, stumbling block emerged, and it goes to show that Britain has often been in the, uh, pulling on the brakes of not just in the employment area, but in other areas too of European development. And what got held up particularly was a, a directive on information and consultation, a directive on agency workers, which eventually we did manage to break down the opposition. In 2001, Labour did sign the uh, information and consultation directive, and in 2006, uh, Gordon Brown did sign the agency worker directive. But they were never encouraging social Europe. And, and I still remember a particular uh, moment that upset me. It was when Dennis McShane was the Foreign uh, uh, Office Minister, European Minister, publishing a paper from the Foreign Office to suggest there is no social Europe. There's just a lot of different models in Europe. And all this social Europe stuff is overdone. Well, there's a, there's a European social single market. And while there's a single market, there's got to be, for us to support it, there's got to be social rules and, by the way, environmental uh, rules as well. So it was an important, um, uh, important step uh, that we got into a different relationship, in a way more difficult with Britain in than out. And it goes to show, by the way, that Britain playing a lead, and whatever you say about Tony Blair, he certainly played a leading role at that time. 
and nothing happened in the European Union of any consequence that he didn't uh, uh, bless or lead or so on. It was a period of British leadership. Uh, much more, uh, and the fact that he was won his election so, uh, so, uh, so so massively in '97 made him the guy to follow for many on the centre left in th throughout the European Union. And uh, it's, uh, it's the one thing I do miss uh, when Tony Blair went was the fact that uh, our leaders, from Gordon Brown onwards, really, have played a role that we're against them. We're making them, we, we can, we're, we're condemning them, we're saying they're daft. And until the referendum got started and Cameron and Osborne got positive, the view from number 10 in particular has been negative. Uh, under, in the Blair era, it wasn't negative. It was uh, positive, Britain leading, and so on was the, uh, the way. And, and to our disadvantage, I think, and the disadvantage of weakening social Europe, if social Europe was a bit stronger today than it is, I think our job in the referendum would be rather easier than perhaps it's proving, uh, proving to be. The, I, I, I'll detour briefly around the euro and confess I was in favour of uh, joining the, uh, the euro. Nobody else seems to admit that nowadays, but uh, I was uh, in favour. I still think that when the economic crisis hit in 2008, if we'd have had all the different currencies of Europe, God knows where we'd be on that. Uh, would we be in a better position or not? I, I really don't know, but I do think that the, uh, uh, the, 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 the West's best period was when there were fixed exchange rates um, and uh, up until the Bretton Woods uh, system collapsed in the early 70s. And the idea that you can devalue uh, to get yourself out of trouble uh, well, the last time we devalued, we didn't get ourselves out of trouble. Um, and uh, as, at some stage, I'd like to see this issue revisited, but uh, I'm not uh, uh, holding my breath uh, about that. Just to say, when I became General Secretary of the uh, ETUC, I paid a courtesy call on a number of people. One of them was an Irish senior uh, uh, official in the European Commission. And he said to me, he said, you've 10 years too late. He said, uh, the, the law is long gone. Uh, you haven't got any support for more social Europe. You've got a position now where they're thinking less. And he quoted some figures that Chancellor Merkel quotes on a fairly frequent basis, which is that the European Union has got 50% of world social spending against 25% of its economy, thereby saying the costs are a lot higher than they are anywhere else. I think it's an issue of pride that we're in that position. Uh, I think it's terrific. But I don't think um, uh, uh, that in the minds of the people who were leading Europe, uh, that had been a change. And the uh, Tony Blair administration was very much part of that uh, liberalization. Um, final points. Um, uh, looking forward to uh, where we are uh, now, uh, it, it is an uphill struggle getting social Europe back on the map. Um, it is, we have found it hard to get any real action, although the President Juncker is trying to get action on the two legal cases, Laval and Viking, some of you will know about. Uh, where it was found that free movement of labour is more important than terms and conditions of employment. 
um, and uh, at least in countries without legally enforceable agreements. We'll talk about that in the, uh, uh, in, in the panel. Um, but uh, just to say, you can guess from the tenor of my remarks, I'm passionately on the Remain side of, uh, of, of where we are. I'm passionately believe that if Britain floats off uh, into some, the Atlantic, that it'll be some kind of uh, offshore, low regulation, low taxation, low public service kind of place with no uh, emphasis for the foreseeable future on improving the lot of British workers. Uh, I do think it would be a disaster uh, for many jobs, uh, 50 odd percent. I think it's just over 50 percent of PLCs and more than 250 employees are foreign owned. Uh, they're not British companies in a sense that we used to understand. Uh, we mentioned Plessy before, but there's a lot have gone to the graveyard uh, or to foreign ownership at that time. I think that sovereignty, British sovereignty, which Gove and Johnson are going on about all the time, is something of a mirage given that situation. And uh, we should be uh, very strongly in the, from the left and from the Labour movement making the points, you're playing roulette with our jobs, you're playing roulette with our rights. Uh, and when Jacob Rees-Mogg and others said, well, with these rights are, which should be a matter for the British Parliament, how many rights would we get off the Conservative government? We've just managed to neuter some of the worst effects of the trade union bill, but it's still a bloody awful bill, and it's still going to make life very much more difficult uh, for unions. So for all those reasons, uh, Andrew's uh, history, uh, my development of some of that history, lead to uh, a conclusion that I hope we'll get some support for in this room. Thank you.